0: Welcome everybody. Lovely to see your family this morning. Welcome, welcome. If you're not part of the family yet, uh, because you're trying us out and you wonder what we're like, well, I hope you're having a good experience and hang around and and our coffee's pretty good, if nothing else. Um, If you're just visiting and you belong to a different family somewhere else, then um, take love and greetings from this church family gather this morning. I wonder if you'd be okay uh, just as we get going. uh, um, My my heart is still kind of, and mind is still sort of racing a bit with a whole bunch of things that that may not be you, but I'm just going to ask that we just are quiet again. And can you get in touch as, as as I just pray, come Holy Spirit again, just get in touch with some of your deeper desires, your deeper longings, your deeper hopes and yearnings for yourself in relation to your walk with God. Can we just do that for a moment? thank you Lord for your presence thank you for your presence always but we're asking Lord that you would magnify your presence to us and in the awareness of you being with us Holy Spirit you would direct our, our hearts and our, our minds you would bless us to be receptive you would help us Lord in the way that we think in the way that we act, speak out Lord, we pray that you'd nourish us, Lord. Jesus, you are the bread of life. You have good food for us today. You have good things for us to receive. And Lord, I'm asking that every person in this room, whatever our point of need, whatever those desires, longings are, whatever the next step is, Lord, we would receive from you because you're so generous. Thank you for your word and thank you that your word brings life and brings power to enable it to happen. So let it be so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. And you may well be the kind of person who's already got a whole journal full of things that you're gunning for this year. My journal's beginning to fill up like that. Maybe you're not like that, but, um, but let's, let's encourage one another. I know the Lord wants to encourage us today, and there's a word on the screen there which gives us a little bit of a clue because encouragement is exactly that. It's putting courage within us because we need it as the people of God to do all the things that we have been called to be and to do. Uh, And and by the way, there's a whole load of things to connect with. I I just want to flag element again that is coming up. It's come back and and just to say it it is this place where we go deeper with God and we wrestle with some of those questions. How can I hear God more clearly? How can uh, I I know what the gifts he's given to me? How is the Holy Spirit moving? What's the church for? What's my part within? All those kinds of things. And uh, I know it's been significant part of many people's journeys over the years. So do, do connect with that if that's uh, where you're at. You're not already, or well, even if you are already part of a life group or you're, just, you're, you're, you're not connected. I'll say a little bit more about that maybe later. Uh, many years ago, I was in France as a student doing a gap year and I was teaching English and one of my students was unemployed um, and I asked him what he used to do during the day because he was unemployed and he said, I'm a poacher. Poaching is what I do. It's very lucrative. I just go into the woods and catch stuff and sell them. And and, uh, he was a good guy and I enjoyed going out with him into the woods sometimes. And he took me to a a, a river once where the salmon were flowing because he used to catch salmon. That was one of the things that he did. And I remember being incredibly inspired. Um, they weren't in full flight, but I remember seeing some of them at least, uh, swimming upstream as they do, overcoming all these sort of obstacles and the the fallen trees and the rocks and the, and the whatever, and jumping up things and and, and escaping poachers like him. And by the way, he used to he used to stand behind, he was a canny guy, he used to stand behind the waterfall and as they were jumping up, not all of them made it first time. He had this whacking great big net. So just fall down straight into his net. So much simpler, he said, than using a kind of a rod and all of that. Just that's how you poach salmon. Don't you know? You learnt it from me. But I was inspired by by, by all of this, seeing these these uh, salmon, I'm learning a little bit from uh, him about their motivation to get upstream, which is their to their spawning ground, which is all about new life, right? And it's all about kind of multiplication. It's all about salmon being true to who God has created them to be and doing the thing that you know, He's made them to do. All of that. And then I remember on this occasion, uh, I saw uh, one floating down this way, and he said, and you may know the phrase, only dead fish float downstream. Only dead fish float downstream. I remember him saying it, and maybe you've heard something like that before. It's the first time I'd heard it from him. Because fish swim wherever wherever they need to, and sure, sometimes they swim with the current, but often they're swimming against it as well. But fish that drift with the flow are dead fish. No mission, no direction, no bigger purpose, no resistance to that. As you will know from Andrew's message last week, and if you weren't here last week as we kick off this series, which we think is gonna, we're gonna dip, the Lord has told us to dip in and out of all, all year, then you need to hear Andrew's message from last week. The Lord is calling us as a church family, as Trinity, to courageous resistance. How is the Holy Spirit going to lead us to become? A more radical, more biblical, more passionate group of people, group of Jesus followers, whose motivation, a bit like the salmon, is all about new life in us, in others. It's all about fruitfulness, multiplication, faithfulness to our own nature, being who God has created us to be and doing the things that He's called us to do. I get excited about that. We are the local church, we are the hope of the world. As Bill Hybels and many have said, as the Bible says, we're the hope of the world. The world that's in a mess, God's plan for the, hope, for, for the world is, is the local church. We're his plan A, there isn't a plan B. We carry all that the world needs in our hands and our hearts. It's called a saving, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what, what he's made us to be. That's what he's called us to bring and to be. And, but we need courageous resistance, right, in that place. We need to be a resistance movement in the sense of being on the front foot. Are we on the front foot as a church, local church, church in the nation? Are we on the front foot? Fighting for something. What? Fighting for freedom. God's version of freedom. The kingdom manifesto version of freedom that Jesus himself quotes in Luke 4 from, from Isaiah. Proclaiming good news. Being good news. Bringing people from darkness and, and death and disease and despair into what? Into light and hope, and healing, and purpose, out of hell into heaven. So that's part of being on the front foot, that's, that, that, that's the resistance, fight, freedom fighting bit, and then part of it is resisting in the sense of us learning bit by bit, day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday, month by month, more and more, how not to, ourselves, drift away, get carried away, get swept away, get pulled away, get persecuted away, get seduced away. With the flow of a culture that stands in opposition to God. If you're not for me, you're against me, said Jesus. Those are the only two choices. This incredible calling and purpose that we've got. We're not to be swept away. And of course, that looks like rocks and barriers and waterfalls and poachers with nets and thieves and all of that sort of stuff. Every assault of the enemy of God will come against us. Subtle stuff and blatant stuff. But for today's today's purposes, especially we're looking at the flow of the culture, the flow that's against us, the strong currents that are overwhelmingly in opposition to God. That takes courage. It means being more and more fully alive in Jesus, Not, not dead fish floating down the stream, right? It means being alive. A fish that's alive, fully alive does what it needs to do. So friends, we need to be fully alive and we need to be asking God to bless us with courage as we do that. Daniel was this remarkable, courageous resistor. And I know he's a bit of a Sunday school figure, but for good reason. He is a remarkable guy. So let's be inspired again a little bit by who he was, what he did, how he stood, and how he exhibited this. I'm not going to read all the verses, but could you find Daniel one on your devices? Because it's just helpful to have the word of God open. Check that I'm not, you know, talking nonsense. And fear, if we could just have those words on the screen, I'm going to read bits of it. So you, you know that they've been, uh, he, they've been exiled in, um, in Babylon. Daniel, a bunch of mates, other Jews have been exiled from uh, th- their own land into Babylon where Nebuchadnezzar is the king. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine and they were to be trained for three years, these young, uh, healthy, intelligent people, men. And after, they, after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, so Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, interesting, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He asked the chief official, so so Daniel asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in that way. The The official said, well, I'm afraid of the king. Why should he see you looking worse than all the other men in your age? He'll have my head because of you. So Daniel then spoke to somebody else, he spoke to the guard, please test us your servants for 10 days, give us nothing but veg and water, the original Daniel fast, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and then treat your servants accordingly. So the the guard agreed and at the end of the 10 days Daniel and his mates looked healthier and better, better nourished than any of the other young men and so to these four men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. He talked with them. He found that none equal to Daniel, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding, he found them ten times better than all the wise men of his kingdom. Beautiful story, which is incredibly familiar, uh, I guess, to, to many of us. And the question for Daniel was the same one that some of the others sang, Psalm 137, verse 4, in Babylon, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So that's the kind of the, the inner question that's going around, isn't it, for them and for us. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The whole book teaches us that the world will always be a foreign land. The people of God will always be strangers, surrounded by a hostile world and culture, Remember, every morning, it's one of the things that the Lord is impressing on me and I hope on us, every morning as we put our feet on the ground, we are stepping into a war zone and not a play- playground. Every morning, for the people of God, that's what we're in. We're in a war. We're in that fight, as Hills and others have been sharing. So what does it mean to put on army boots every morning rather than slippers? The enemy, by the way, of course, is never People. Even even the Nebuchadnezzars of this world isn't the enemy. The, en- the enemy is the enemy. We, we, we're to have love and compassion for people, but be alert to the enemy and his, the devil and his minions. But one of his key strategies is just to deceive us into going with the flow, isn't it? It's just to deceive us into just drifting on the tide of everything that surrounds us because that's easy to do. When I worked in business uh, 100 years ago, I had a sort of man- manifestation of Tim as a businessman. I know it's hard to imagine. I was useless. Uh, but but the, in, the, in the sort of office environment, I remember that time, there were some good things that happened. But essentially, the main flavor of conversations that happened uh, around, around the office were about, were complaining. Complaining about the boss, complaining about the this, that, and the other. Whinging, moaning, uh, sharing stories of what had happened at the weekend. Most of them pretty unsavory. Who's sleeping with who. The kind of gossip sort of a stuff. I remember even when I was teaching at school, again, the staff room, there are plenty of decent things about it. It wasn't universally terrible or anything like that. But just the general culture, and nobody seemed to mind, was very negative. It was snagging somebody off behind their back. It was talking about pupils negatively. It was saying how badly paid we were, which was true, but we didn't need to complain about it. <laughs> <clears throat> Those sorts of things. As I speak, I know that I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to locate these kind of things for our own context. So how to resist drifting with the flow in in, in that kind of environment? Just being really, really practical. Would people recognize that a follower of Jesus stood for something different in that kind of climate? What does that look like? How do you respond? How do you deal with it? How do you keep yourself from going with the flow? How are you a courageous resister? How do we resist compromising? Living our lives faithfully to God. When we're a tiny minority, which we are now, our beliefs, our values, our principles are not shared by the vast, vast majority of the world around us. Challenging question, isn't it? Do the people of God look any different? Do we look any different? We're always challenged by that question, aren't we? Do we look any different? I don't mean in here, because we gather in a building and do weird stuff Sunday by Sunday. But in all of those normal environments, our regular environments, do the people of God look different? Like Daniel did. Point in a different direction. Stand for something else. How do we resist compromise with the culture? Or in the words of Romans 12, which I notice is the the kind of theme verse on those posters at the back, courageous resistance, Romans 12. How do we keep the world from squeezing us into its mold? Just a different way of saying the same thing. These are very live questions for us, aren't they? If If you're a follower of Jesus in this place, you know what I'm talking about. You recognize these Temptations, seductions, the issue of compromise. Anyway, so here's Daniel. Five things really quickly. Some headlines. We're going to study this later during the week. <clears throat> First, he had a big why. Daniel had a big why. How, did he, how was he a courageous resister? How did he resist compromise, which is what the, the issue was for him in chapter one here right now? Eat the king's food. Nothing particularly wrong with eating the king's food. No. Not going to do that. Not going to compromise with that. He had a big why. And why's always become, come before what's and how's. I always say that, except in the dictionary. It's no, it's no good asking, how do I do something, unless we're convinced that why it matters to do it. So let's just check ourselves and check where Daniel was with that. Why was it good for him to resist compromising with the unhealthy, ungodly culture around him? It's no good saying, well, just act like Daniel. If you want to be like somebody, you don't do what they do. You don't copy what they do. You find out what they believe. You don't just say, right, I'm going to be Daniel. I'm going to do what Daniel did. No, you need to work out what Daniel believed because it's your belief that then fires your thoughts, which fires your emotions, which fires your actions, which fires your habits, your habits and becomes your, your character, your deepest convictions. I think there's even a, a slide for that somewhere, Fee. Let's get that right. So where we end up is, is our character, but work backwards. Habits, actions, emotions, thoughts, beliefs. It starts there. That's where Daniel started. And he had no doubt. He knew what was at stake. He had a, a conviction, a belief. Three things. He, he, knew that, he knew that what was at stake mattered to him personally. If he hadn't taken this stand, if, if, if he'd just you know, gone along with the king's food, he'd become increasingly vulnerable to all that was going on in this Babylonian culture, become increasingly like it. He would lose his identity as one of the Lord's chosen. He'd lose his heritage. He'd lose his inheritance. He'd lose his ability to, to influence and so on. How about you? Do you? Are you convinced of the dangers of compromise with the culture for yourself and your own followership of Jesus? He knew that it mattered for his people, similar, but as a group, as a church, it's never individual in the Bible, it's always a collective. Do we share that concern as a group? The the exiles, they're in huge danger here. They're in massive danger of just assimilating with the culture, and most of them did, and ended up looking not like the people of God at all. Find that a bit later in chapter three. Only a few held out in the other way. The rest of them, absolutely, they just assimilated and became People who spoke Babylonian, did Babylonian things, you know, were entirely assimilated in the culture. So as a church, do you feel passionate about that? Do you feel passionate about a church that is courageously resisting? Of people who look different and increasingly become more like the one in whose image we're made. Most of all, though, I believe that Daniel knew that it mattered. Yes, for himself personally, his own sense of integrity, who he was, what he's called to be and do. Yes, exactly the same for for the people of whom he was a part, but ultimately resisting compromise and pursuing holiness, to use that word, for the honor and the reputation and the glory of God. That's what he was utterly captivated by. He was completely captivated by the name and the glory and the reputation and the honor of the God he believed in. And that was at stake. So again, I ask us, is that your conviction? How deep does that conviction run in me, in you? Do we share it? But that's a pretty big why. That's a pretty big why, and it enabled the rest to, 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 to happen to some extent. So second, he was really alert to the danger. He was just very alert, he was very on it. Because compromising happens, going with the flow happens, when our desire for comfort outweighs our conviction. Shorthand, I know, simplistic, I know, but basically that's it. Think about that. When we compromise, it's because our desire for ease—the path of least resistance, comfort—to which our flesh defaults—we all default to comfort. What's easiest for me? What's best for me? What's most comfortable for me? When that is bigger than the conviction, we'll compromise. We'll go, yeah, actually, yeah. I'll just, I'll just slip into that thing. I'll just go with the flow. Just there. That's what happens. Daniel was really alert uh, to us, uh, to to, to that dynamic. It would have been much easier for him to have said, yeah, just to accept the king's food like everybody else. Of course it would. It's often very uncomfortable, costly to have principles and to stand up for them. We know this, right? But let's think about the culture around us, of the cultures where we are being honest in your financial dealings when many around us are trying to beat the system. What about keeping Sabbath? in a society that's totally rejected that beautiful gift for, for how we order our time. Sexual imagery is everywhere. Porn has never been more accessible, available, and even acceptable in the culture. So, kind of, nobody needs to know if I just kind of go with, go with the flow for a bit. feels like a comfort option. Not cheating on your employer by skimping on your work. It's all around us, not cheating on your friends by talking about them behind, your, behind their backs. Taking responsibility for yourself in a world that is constantly wanting to blame other people, play the victim card, and it's somebody else's fault. Many of us are parents in the room. Hills and I used to wrestle in, in this era of compromises. We brought the kids up years ago. Loads of issues where the world is doing it one way. The flow, The, the flow is a strong one, and it's going that way. And what does it mean to be the salmon who is courageously resisting in the other way in relation to some of the things that crop up in parenting? We wanted wanted to equip our children to think differently, to have some convictions which then played out in different choices, but they need help with that. We need help with that. They need help with that. What about the sports matches clashing with Sunday mornings or other commitments? What about the parties where things were going to be allowed in that home which you wouldn't allow in your own home? What about boundaries around screen time? What about conversations about sex and about sexuality? all as part of the way that we want to equip and encourage the next generation, which we must do, because if we don't do it in Jesus' way, if we don't, under the Lord's help, bless our younger ones to grow in courageous resistance, it's not that they're not going to be influenced by us, it's just by, anybody, by nobody, it's going to, they'll be influenced by the culture, right? And we see it every day being played out in different kinds of ways, our kind of culture, which is do what you feel, be who you want to be kind of culture, and it will sweep them downstream which is tragic. Develop some family mantras. We had some family mantras. Do the right thing, not the easy thing. Do the right thing, not the easy thing. In other words, conviction over comfort. You know, flip it round. Easy to say, harder to do, of course. But Daniel could see this. He could, he could see the dangers, basically. He was really alert. He knew that there's this strategy to, to assimilate him into the culture. And part of it he had to go along with. He had no choice. He didn't have a choice in whether his name was changed I mean that's a pretty significant thing. Effectively, the culture is saying no, 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 you're not this, you're that, you're a different identity. Recognise that. You're not who God's made you to be. You're You're this. We're going to change that. The education system, the philosophies around it, all of that. They're isolated already from their home, so it's quite a vulnerable place. Remember, we're strangers in a foreign land. Seduced, then even here was the next one. He's alert to this, this this seduction of the royal treats, the royal treatment, the royal food, and, and everything that went with it. The easy thing would have been to go along with it. It was going to cost him to make a stand, but he saw the dangers. He knew where that would lead. He needed to put conviction over comfort. Otherwise, he was in trouble. How about you? How about you? What are the what are the principles, values, those kinds of things? that you're alert to in your regular day-to-day environments that risk being the ones that help you to drift downstream? I know it's a massive question, and we need to be asking the Holy Spirit to to make us sensitive and, and alert to this alive. How could you be seduced or led into compromise? Where's the pressure on you? Where's the pressure from the culture just to believe and behave in a particular way that is simply unlike Jesus? And we could could apply that to almost every realm of life, couldn't we? We could think about sexuality, for sure, or the, the, the kind of conversation around sexuality. We could think about pornography. We could think about politics and the way that we engage in that and speak about that, the lens through which we look at that. We could talk about money and celebrity and family life, for sure, in all of these areas. How do we arrive at the opinions that we hold about things? How do we know what's true? We could think about whether we're compromising with an unhealthy culture around just things like greed, food, self indulgence, escape routes, alcohol, humor, what we watch, what we listen to, let alone the ever dominant and increasing world of social media. What are the cultural waters of most social media? What's the cultural flavor on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or Twitter or whatever? Just focus a minute on your own place of work. Let's make it practical. So some of those are sort of out there. But what about your place of work or the place where you spend most of your, your time day to day? That world, that environment right there. And if you're not in a, a regular place of work, somewhere where you hang out regularly, uh, engage in conversation or you're, you're part of a, a group that does in the gym maybe or, or, or at the checkout or um, in the hairdressers or whatever. And if I were to put up a little list of values, thanks, Fee, and, and their opposites, which direction would you say the cultural water is flowing in your environment, in that place of work or place where you hang out regularly? If you've got some opposites there, honest, dishonest, It's some kind of cultural flavor, just let you look at that list, muse about it just for a minute, you can't take all of it in. We could have filled three screens with the same sorts of things. Going back to some of the environments I used to work in before this one. I hesitate to say before this one. uh, So much negativity. So much judgment. So much criticism. So much blaming of others. So much being hurt and taking offense and doing the victim and not taking responsibility. All of those. So if what surrounds you, and please, please, I'm not not wishing to exaggerate or paint everything as black. Maybe your, your work environment is is really healthy and good, and I'm glad for that. But there will still be, because the Bible tells us that there will. The world flows in a different direction. If you're not for me, you're against me. So alertness to these things. So if if in your culture, it's not all the left-hand stuff for which we stand, then we need to be alert and equipped and empowered to resist courageously, swim against that flow. Our conviction overcoming the comfort, the ease with which we can just go down those roads, join in with the gossip. You know, etc. fill in the blanks. How did Daniel do that? He's got this big why. He's alert to the dangers. Three things really briefly. He's a man of God's word. He's a man of God's word. He knew it. He trusted it. He obeyed it. It sounds so obvious. It barely needs saying, and yet it needs saying to me and to you again and again and again and again and again. Friends, it just does. He was a man of God's word. He had choices, because we always have choices, and he was simply not going to disobey the word of the Lord as he knew it. That was his plumb line. It told him what was true. It told him what was right. Therefore, it was a predecision That matters, doesn't it, with convictions. He didn't have to suddenly think in the moment, gosh, I wonder what I think about this. I'm not, ooh, da, da, da. If we arrive at those moments, we're really in trouble. If we don't know what we think about something, we're in trouble. Because in that moment, temptation is really seductive, right? We just go with the flow. But pre-decisions come from convictions that we thought about. His pre-convictions came about because of the word of God to which he held. So in this particular case, what Nebuchadnezzar wants him to do directly contradicts the word of the Lord. Fairly clear from the scholars. They're saying either this food, the royal food, was defiled for a Jewish person because it had been sacrificed to idols, or it was simply kind of in the list of foods that he wasn't, they weren't to eat from, from the Levitical law. Either way, he was not going to compromise. He didn't get his opinions and his convictions from social media. He didn't get them from his feelings. He didn't get them from the peer group. He didn't get them from his background or whatever. All of his convictions came from what God said, what he understood God to be saying. As he wrestled with it, as he studied it, as he learned it. Am I speaking to us? Is God speaking to us? That's where he found the authority for his life. Not, not, not as a book of helpful advice, but as God's word. As every conceivable voice in our culture and world, internal, external, wanting us to go in a different direction. Whose voice is has preeminence in the ways that Daniel did. Conviction over comfort. So under great pressure, he stood, stands on this truth, and he says, Exodus 23 has a lovely verse. I came across this. Don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Very really simple. Don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. So he didn't, whatever the cost was going to be. By the way, he could easily have justified things to himself, couldn't he? We've always got some excuses. Do you have that narrative in your head sometimes? Easily got, you know, the, the kind of, well, you know, I haven't really got a choice because if I eat it, they're going to kill me. Or in our context, if I do that, well, they're going to do this to me, and that's frightening, right? There's always that kind of excuse available. Maybe it's not really that big of a deal. Daniel could have said, "It's only food, or whatever the equivalent. It's only a small lie. It's only 20 minutes of porn. I'm not going to be addicted. Nobody else needs to know, etc., etc., etc. God knows my heart. He knows my heart's, but, but yeah, in this case, or a bit more spiritual. God's brought. Daniel could have said, "God's brought me here for a reason." He wants me to, to be an influence for him, so if I don't fit in, you know, it's not, it couldn't, might not go well for me. When I get to a position of power, then I'll kind of allow my convictions to rule my choices and actions. Now, this was a red line for him, and he wouldn't cross it. What God said mattered more than what anybody else said. Whatever the cost, whatever the fear of the consequences, he didn't know how it was going to turn out. He was a man of God's word. How about you? Daniel was a man of God's people, just briefly, he couldn't have done it alone, He's already, they're already isolated to some extent, but it's a bit sad that the others get slightly less of a press than Daniel, but there's this group together, that's not an accident, is it? Come on, there's no such thing as the solo Christian, those who say, well, I've got this relationship, me, me and God, we're fine, we do this relationship with God, but that thing about church, no, I don't do church, Mm-mm. sorry, God's word doesn't allow that. We're called to community. It's where we grow. It's where we learn. It's where God reaches us, grows us, refines us in, in close proximity to each other. I can't prove it from, from this text here uh, as it happens in Daniel chapter 1, but I have absolutely no doubt that these four guys encouraged each other amazingly, that they kind of held each other, they prayed for each other, they supported each other. I want to ask, is, are you in an environment like that? So we love our Sundays. We love gathering week by week. But it's why we do week by week talk about things like life groups and smaller groups and element and environments where we get to seriously be us and share our stuff and encourage and be encouraged because we don't do this alone. We can't. We're not meant to. We're not called to. Please, friends, at the beginning of a year, talking to Trinity Church family members, even to be a member of the family, we don't use that language, but it, it is to be part of something that's an environment where you're, you're sharing at that level, you're growing at that level. Otherwise what? We're more vulnerable. And he was a man of God's presence last. He had a big why, knew why he wasn't compromising, knew what the dangers of that were. He was very alert, very sensitive to, to what they were. Might have been easy to miss, but he was, he was sharp about it. He's a man of God's word. That's what he stood on. He's a man of God's people because he needed people around him and giving and taking in that environment. And he was a man of God's presence. Simply put, and we see this as we work through the book, you know the story. Daniel prayed about everything. Daniel prayed about everything. Do you know, I was talking to somebody just this morning who is on that journey and really eager to grow in their ability to bring everything to God. Rather than just from time to, oh gosh, you know, I haven't actually prayed. I haven't spoken to God about that. I haven't thought about that. Everything. Pray about everything. Might feel miles away from God. That's fine. Talk to him about it. Might be having a really bad time, really good time. It doesn't matter. Daniel just brings everything. Not just the big problems. Talks about everything. He prayed. He's just in this habit. Because in the presence of God, things are Different his fears, his challenges, desires, weaknesses, the whole lot. Someone who had learned, was learning to walk with God, is that you? Sharing everything, talking about everything, growing in that relationship. That's how he was sensitive to the danger. That's how he was alert to the consequences of compromise and and, and the need to resist it. And he did that with great courage. Of course he did. Huge courage. I mean, can you imagine the scene? It's very hard to put yourself there, but I mean, that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? I don't know if you're called to exercise that courage to the same level in that same way. I'm not sure I have in my life, but he really did. Not knowing what the consequences were could have been easily fatal. And by the way, we get to the lion's den in the next chapter. So, you know, the pressure is ramped up. See that next week. It's what gave him the ability, by the way, to resist the king with great humility too. He wasn't also sort of, can I say arsy, and confrontational about it. He wasn't, was he? He was quite humble about the whole thing didn't it? So it wasn't all guns blazing confrontation we're not called to confront people in that kind of way the devil yes people know he did it with real wisdom he had a shrewd idea god-given i'm sure to suggest the different diet did it with perseverance the first guy said no i'm way too scared so he, he perseveres he goes to the second guy there's a lot of good qualities here but i want to say he acted with enormous faith he acted with enormous faith Because he trusted, chose to trust, that God would come through. He was going to do the right thing. He was going to say no, not the easy thing, which was to say, okay, I'll take the food. He was going to eat vegetables and water. That's what he was going to do, and he was going to trust God to take care of the rest. He didn't know what that was, but he trusted that God would take care of the rest. He was pretty convinced that God was going to come through. He even said as much in faith, as a faith declaration. See what happens after 10 days. He didn't know that he was going to end up in front of the king, being in a position of influence. That wasn't his objective, and it doesn't always work out that way. It wasn't, if I do this, then I'm going to get that. There'll always be reward for obedience, but it it might not be this side of heaven. Plenty have made similar choices and got martyred. But the decision is the same. Whatever the consequences, I'm standing courageously with God. I'm resisting compromise. So how are we going to grow, friends? Trinity Cheltenham, in courageous resistance this year, becoming that more radical church, that more loving church than we already are, that more passionate church about the king and his kingdom, being fruitful followers, just compared to our starting point right now. How are we going to grow? How are we going to move? I know that we don't want to stay the same. You don't want to stay the same individually. We don't want to stay the same as a group. We want to grow in this. And we want to grow in resisting compromise, I know that you want to be a salmon, (laughs) you know, swimming strongly, fruitfully, powerfully against the flow of the current of the culture in your environment. Well, there may be some other strategies, but without these ones, we are not going to move an inch. We need to do it together. God's called us together. We need to be a people of his word and we need to be a people of his presence, making room making room for him again and again in our different environments. Yes, in here, but in our daily walks, again and again, making room to encounter him, to meet him, developing habits of seeking him, waiting on him, sharing ourselves fully with him, depending on him, growing more sensitive to his voice, being faithful, faithful and obedient to what he says, and all through the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. Courageous resistors.